Good January to you folks. We are back at yet another Fairly Queer podcast. And I'm very, very excited about this episode because not only is Sam here, but we have a special guest uh, who I've known for a number of years. And when I was uh, uh, having a client consultation with them, we just got onto all sorts of amazing, magical, and very timely topics. So I am very excited to have Brock here. So uh, greetings, Brock, from the other side of North America. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to meet Sam. Yes, Sam, are you still up? Oh, oh, Sam, Sam has left. gone into limbo, but when Sam comes back, Sam will be back. Is is Sam in where's Sam located? Sam, are you allowed to say where I'm you here. are located? You are closer to Brock right now. I'm in Nashville. Yes. Okay, so you are closer to me. Oh, you're sideways, Sam. Do you like being Where sideways, Sam? Is that the way you want to do it, Alyssa Edwards style? Uh, Let's my phone sideways. Coming at us from that angle. Well, the our lovely Patreon. Hold on, let me, hold on. There you go. While you fix up, Sam, our lovely Patreons are going to be gifted this whole visual shenanigans. So I look forward to everyone getting to see us. Um, Sam and looking really available. Yes. And I, I grabbed a ring light for y'all. So yes. like tip, give them all your monies. Yes. And more people join the Patreon. Yes. Yeah, do that. Please. So it's an exciting Witchy Wednesday here. And the topic for which uh, I wanted to, to like lay out these wild and weird and and very um very hard-hitting uh layers is about your work brock uh being involved in uh lgbtqia plus plus activism but in a very particular constellation so i want to let you have the uh let you have the speakers uh Sure, do you mind? Tell us about what you've been doing. And I mean, I've known you for years for the work you've been doing, but why don't you tell the folks in the podcast sphere what you've been up to? Yeah, so um, I used to play professional hockey. And in 2016, I came out as the first openly gay men's professional hockey player. And I had retired recently um, at different points. My sexuality was used against me when people started to find out about it in that hypermasculine men's pro sport world. So am I allowed to swear here? You don't care if I swear, do you? Nope. I swear a lot. Great. So I was like, fuck this. Um, you're not going to use my sexuality against me anymore. And it was one of a few things that empowered me to come up publicly. Um, uh, the other two things were that summer, right after I started, my sexuality started to be used against me, the uh, massacre at Pulse occurred. Mm-hmm. And I thought of, you know, like easily could have been me and my friends in Toronto. It could have been any one of us in any city, right? Like we all felt pulse. The entire community collectively felt that. 
And then shortly thereafter, I had a friend who was running a major pride organization. He ended up on an ISIS hit list. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's not public knowledge, but we were supposed to go to a charity event together. And he called me and said, I don't think you should come. And I said, well, why not? And he goes, well, I'm on this list. And I called bullshit. I thought he was making a crash joke because it was less than a week after Pulse. And he's like, no, they have my photo. And I'm like, well, are you going to the event? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm coming with you. So we went to this charity event and um, we were frisked at the door. We had undercover police around us the entire night. Um, they were, they had those like metal detector wands out at a charity event. They were patting people down. Fortunately, nothing happened to my friend. Um, he's safe and healthy and fine and living his best life today. But I knew I had to do something. And the following day, I reached out to a friend of mine who's a journalist and wrote an article coming up publicly. And um, since then, my life changed. I became, I started getting requests to speak. Media was hitting me up all over the world. And I, before I knew it, like people started messaging me too with their struggles and their oppression and everything else. And before I knew it, I was doing this everywhere. And I became a public speaker. I was traveling in the world speaking. Um, I was uh, regularly in media, still am. And uh, then I started uh, a show with World of Wonder with Mrs. Kasha Davis on empowerment and, and, you know, how we all deal with shit and whatnot. And now I'm working on a few other projects, a TV show, uh, a podcast, a book, and some different things. And I still, you know, do speaking gigs from home and uh, work with people who reach out who are struggling and try and get them the support they need to feel good. Um, you know, based off my experience living in the closet in professional sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was curious when this uh, charity event was happening, were you in Canada or the United States? Canada. Okay. Cause that's a we, big chunk of uh, that, that whole political scenario. That's very important to know. like how, how yeah, it, far, how far it spread and the, the fear and the kind of policing of people. It, it was terrifying. I remember that night we, we got into an Uber and we like, we chugged a drink outside of his condo right before. And, uh, we got into this Uber and we looked at each other, like we're going to die tonight. Mm. And, um, it was the scariest, but most powerful experience in my life, probably. Wow. You know, to, to know that this could happen, but saying to myself, like, you know, I'm not going to be scared out of my community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, we dropped, we dropped you in big on this topic. I would love to, um, maybe we can start with a, a little bit of a round table before we go into like our different perspectives. Cause what we all have in common is we are indeed white Caucasian folks that um, could probably pretty easily get a date depending on where, where we're in. We have lots of inner and outer beauty and we were born male. And so really- uh, We're born male and the rest is drag. Yeah, we were born male and the rest is drag. <laughs> <laughs> and um not anymore not anymore got mick changed 
But like, you know, we represent uh, a whole a group of people who are generally assumed and often in reality have um, easy um, access yes. to things. Before you continue, Jeremy, I'm not sure. Um, this is just me, uh, my editing brain popping yeah. in. You are so much quieter than everyone well, else. And I'm worried that that's going to uh, be an issue in post-production. Okay. Am I louder now? That is so much better. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, thankfully, Brock was doing most of the talking. Thank you, Brock, while we got our technical things under control. We are DIY. We are <laughs> I love it. ass. Um, but yes, yeah, so a, a, a roundtable a little bit of like sharing like the general way and uh, the general flow of how we've gone through the world first is white male-born folks, and then what we came upon that we found to be um, our hurdles and our challenges and our obstacles, because it's important to know the difference in profile, the difference in the way these things go, because if other folks in other parts of the world, they're going to have a whole different thing. You might be a white gay male in Russia, but that's still different, right? Or Italy, or you might be gender variant in Southeast Asia, or you could be um, a female, female born, but gender queer person in the Latin American countries. So I just think well, respecting where we come from is part of um, knowing how we can connect with other people and share and support. Yes, Sam. Why don't, why don't you start Jeremy so that we can have a little bit of a rubric to, uh, to come off of so that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So for example, I try to let people know that I am on their side. The way I'm built, I seem to have always been hypersensitive to um, letting people share their perspective for the most part. I love listening to the women in my young life. Uh, I was very much, you know, if if the Bible story about a Jacob and an Esau, where Esau was this burly, strong archetype of the guy that goes with the guys and does guy stuff, that was my brother Luke, my younger brother Luke. But mm. me, I was the Jacob who was in the kitchen listening to women's stories with my wonderful, humorous aunts and my grandmother. And them making the jokes at the men's expense and like, yeah, that's so true. They could be such dolts sometimes. But I never fully identified in the traditional masculine realm. Now, I had a male body, which was always presented some kind of curiosity to me. I never felt super there, but um, I knew that I was going to have some some assets, especially once I got to high school, college, uh, being white and being male. But I grew up in a working class family and they didn't really know how to put together that I was the person who was going to continue on. They just hoped I got a decent job that paid all right and uh, that hopefully I would be around to care for them in their older years. So that's the working class mentality. And so being an overachiever, I went into overachieving mode in my academics 
And then when it came time to get to grad school, I was a big overachiever. However, I was someone who also, to better and worse, stayed in my own lane. I had wonderful friends, but most of them were white. I had um, wonderful experiences coming out a little more in Pittsburgh than I did in West Virginia. Um, when I was in high school, when I was in school, I got a little bullied, but I was never really, really roughed up because I could be just smart enough and just funny enough to not get fully, I don't feel traumatized by those things. However, I think I've done a bit of healing work in order to, for those things to hurt me less. My wound was in never feeling good enough. So the overachieving plus the, I'm not a jock, I'm not strong enough, uh, too skinny, too, uh, too injury phobic, to like be in certain male realms. Um, mm. And I think that transferred into a kind of fetish where like I really like kind of like go get them like white collary ish kind of guys who totally I feel like I'm off their radar. And so uh, the, the last thing I'll say is I had a real moment of clarity. One of the last guys I dated, which was in 2006, my friend Nate texted me all of a sudden and we had this whole big discussion about like, you're kind of like the ideal guy. You're this like nerdy, sexy, like ottery guy who's who's like into like, what was it? Bioengineering, but you have a really hot body and we could be nerdy together and have really great sex together. And that always kind of became the template so that people, I couldn't quite get my brain around getting close to other people with other templates. I have, I'm a radical fairy. I like people who are gender variant, androgynous, like Wiccan and pagan. So anyone who is a little too waspy, I tend to be like, I don't understand you, but I'm also very attracted to you. And that is a weird mystery. And of course, I've dated people from other continents. I've I've been lovers and had sex with people from other continents. And my thing is, the, the blessing I have is that I've always let people come to me from their perspective. I don't know, you know, I don't know. The only way to know how to best treat someone, a trans lover I've had, is for them to provide information for me to listen. So sometimes I've had bloopers, but for the most part, like I feel extremely blessed. So that's me putting together how like relationships and the way I was, I kind of put myself together as a queer person has given me some great benefits, but also we all have our, our weird finangled, doesn't make sense, but it's a thing. So maybe Sam or Sam, maybe you'd like to go Brock and Brock, we've talked a little bit beforehand. So I kind of know where you're coming from. But do you understand, like, Sam, it's like how we feel as queer people. Some things have been advantages. How do we feel kind of queer like, people? Some things well, are I like th wounds what, I or think get in the, our way. I think the question that you're prefacing is sort of a question of non-experience mm -hmm. because of uh, isolation and mm -hmm. the way that 
we everyone really stays within ghettos in whatever stage of life they're in and mm. tends to be rewarded for sticking within their the confines of whatever socioeconomic, racial, gender group they are part of. Yeah. So in that sense, you're correct. But I and I think that that extends to any race or class or gender. Um so yeah, I mean I, I it's a similar story to you. I think that the caveat that I would make for my own story is that I didn't really like once I was in high school and even middle school, I was not like expressive in the ways that I am now with my femininity. Uh, but I yeah. was when I was very young, like in kindergarten, like I loved wedding dresses and Barbies and all that kind of shit. Um, then as I got a little bit older, I became a little bit more, um, I don't know, less happy. And then that's when I started getting into like punk music. And also like I got really into video games and anime and all those things, things that you attribute with like a conventionally nerdy person that is not I, I, the caveat that I want to make with being nerdy is that I was not a good student. I was mm. just into things that nerdy people like. I was a bad student that liked video games and cartoons um, and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So for me, it's just like I didn't even like begin to like consider expressing like gender and sexuality until I was well out of high school because I was so busy playing World of Warcraft <laughs> and being someone entirely different. So I don't think that I started to experience like the, the real ramifications of, of, uh, of not like having contact with people outside of like white, lower to uh, lower to middle-class like people uh, until I moved to New York city. And then I moved to New York City, and then like it sort of widened my perspective. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's I think I just have a more matter of fact perspective on the whole situation mm-hmm. because I, um, I, I, I accept that this is a construct of society rather than something that like I'm intentionally doing. You know yes. what I mean? So, um, yeah, like, I I think actually this is a really good point. Um, you know, there's a whole sort of, um, sub genre of gay men that are like, they will just like not date black guys or they will not date Asian guys or they will not date femme guys. You know, we, we hear about these things. And although we like to lambaste those people for good reason, I think we also need to accept that these are things that are baked into our society and people are rewarded by society by the archetypes that we create to stay in within their own community, own communities mm. and their own, their own archetypes. Mm. So, um, although I think it is good to break free of that, I think it's just as important to accept that, like, these are things that are, are constructs of Western society. So there you go. So I, um, that's yeah. kind of a, blather but i jump like i really just want to say like i don't want to speak of but it's just my own experiences being like this is what it is i want to speak to like 
what those types of experience might mean and how they are mirrors of what we as a society have constructed. Yeah. Rock. Yeah. Can I jump on that last point before I give my whole spiel? Um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in what you said. I think we're all products of our environment in a sense. And, and our environment is dictated, you know, um, it's twofold, right? Um, I think everyone, especially queer people have trauma. You know, uh, our, our community have drama is or have trauma, both. Uh, <laughs> but, but but trauma, I think, internalized trauma is very real, regardless if if you have the you know ideal aesthetic or anything else that people portray as being you know either the most privileged or you know what society you know approves of or whatever else. Um, so I think that leads to where you're going with it, where they stay in their bubble. I think as a whole, as a community, um, we need to get uncomfortable. Um, and we need to start engaging with other people. So to that point, I'm, I'm going to go back to like, I'm from, uh, a a community of a hundred thousand people in rural Northern Ontario, like I'm, I'm from four hours north of Toronto. It's a mining town. It would be like a mini Pittsburgh in a sense. And um, there was like, there were indigenous people there, but like there was one black kid in my high school, you know? So, so growing up, I wasn't exposed to anybody, but white people. And then on top of that, I was playing hockey where, you know, the sport of hockey is predominantly white. Like it's the whitest sport in the world. So, so you couple those two and I had very few experiences with people who didn't really look like me growing up, which, you know, makes things like you have to learn on, on the fly in a sense of as an adult of what's, you know, uh, respectful, what isn't cultural differences and, and, uh, you know, things like that. I didn't even know. I complimented uh, a friend one day on her hair black woman not recognizing i did right but 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 from and she took it and then you were like can i touch it no i didn't do that i didn't do that but my partner my partner who grew up in toronto slapped me and said you don't say that to a black woman Uh and i i went oh why not i had no idea I just said, your hair's like, I love your hair. It's different than the last time I saw you. You know what I mean? The same way I would to a white person, not knowing the differences in, you know, cultural aspects of, of hair and in the black community and everything else. And uh, things that I've since learned, but growing up, I had no idea because everything was white. Um, But I, I grew up in a culture that was, you know, different than both of you where I was growing up in in sports and I was uh from this you know smaller town where I was really good at sports so and and in a hockey town where you know uh, like I was a known person at 13 years old Mm. and adults would ask me how's hockey when they would see me 
you know, and, and like that became family would ask me, how's hockey or you played great last night or this or that. I mean, I've gone out of speeding tickets for being a hockey player. I've gone out of some, you know, drunken foolishness that I'm not going to repeat on here um, or share publicly, maybe for the Patreon listeners later, but um, that I shouldn't have gone out of because I was a hockey player. And um, that gave me a ton of privilege that I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware of. And this is at 16 years old. Um, But at the same time, I was struggling and people had no idea because my struggle was different than other people struggle in my community, you know, our community where they might've dealt with some harassment, some bullying. They, they, you know, mine was internalized so deep that I, I, I had, you know, internalized homophobia. I had this, and it, it wasn't directed at other people, but it was just in myself. Mm-hmm. I hated the idea that I thought of other men. I hated the idea that because I, I told myself like this, I can't be a professional athlete in men's team sport, especially one as hypermasculine rugged as hockey and also be gay. And that was ingrained in my mind because the only, only time I ever heard the words gay or, or, you know, like gay slang or gay words were in a, a homo negative manner in locker rooms or on the ice or at school. And, within the people I identified with the hockey players, the athletes, the jocks who were using those terms to put others down. And so I did everything in my power to hide it, which led me down a road of like, I was solely dating women and I'm a gay man and I was only sleeping with women until I was 23. And people asked me like, how do you, how did you do that? And that. what's that? Nothing. That was a bad joke. Sorry. Cut that. <laughs> Um, but, but they would ask me how I did that. And I, to me, it was just, it was almost like transactional, yeah. which is awful to say, but it, it felt like I had to do this to be a hockey player. Therefore I'm going to. Yeah. And even when I started dating men, I did that. And at the time, like, it, it's funny, you know, cause like, even when I accepted the fact that I was gay, like, I, I didn't love myself. I wasn't open about it. And people like I was dating, I dated somebody for three years while I remained in the closet and had a alias on social media and, and, or for his friends. So they couldn't find me on social media and, and he didn't meet anyone in my life. And I told him, I said, I might have to sleep with women to keep up appearances with my teammates. Mm-hmm. It was so fucked up, you know? Right. And Well, but there's and, actually, I think it brings me to an interesting sort of observation, which is, okay, so let's talk about like the developmental stage of life where you're, you're a kid or you're a teenager and you are trying to dis- discover what makes you special. Cause everyone wants to be special. No one wants to be mm-hmm. not special. So like for me, for example, like I fucking luxuriated in the idea that I was gay because I thought it made me special and different and it sort of worked very well in tandem with the other things that I was interested in, which was like art. So like, it just was all like baked into the same thing. But for you, what I'm sort of hearing is that you had something which made you special, but which could have been jeopardized by this other aspect of yourself. So correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like a motivation was like, you wanted to make sure that, under no circumstances was any, any 
internal or external force going to jeopardize this thing which made you special? Completely. I mean, that was, that was, it's, you know, especially when it starts at 10, 11, 12 years old, um, it's my identifier. Mm -hmm. My identity is based around being this really good hockey player. Mm -hmm. My identity, my public identity, my personal identity was all about that. And I love attention. So when I was getting attention for this, it was like, okay, that's, that's it. That's who I am because that's how people see me. And, and in hockey is one of those sports that they, um, it is very, um, insular. Mm -hmm. It's, it's arguably the most insular of the sports. The culture around it is so fucked up, but because of it, um, I felt like I couldn't go outside of it. And, and I had to, this had to be my full identity all the time. And I was known for it. And, and, and in Canada, especially, I mean, you think of like, uh, depending on where you are in the U S whether it's like a, a high school or college football player or basketball player, like I was getting like, uh, like I, I equate teenage hockey players in Canada to YouTubers or Instagram influencers mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. have a, a ton of fame but they're still like your neighbor. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. might see them on the street, but they're famous in a sense. They're not like a Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie level fame, but they're a known entity, known person in the community. That's what I was. And, and to have that at a young age you, you and, and, and see it growing and loving the sport, you don't want to lose that. So anything that could, you know, take away that your special quality, your special attribute, you, you fear losing. And that was me for the longest time, which, you know, um, was tough to break out of yeah, and, and become a fully realized human being. Yeah. Yeah. I love that there, that there are these identifiers and I hope that uh, the community listening to us and maybe viewing us realize it's like, these are the stories I've, I really feel that are going to, especially in the queer community, we have some leading edge um, on bridging the gaps because especially I think the younger people, people under 35 or under 30 with technology and especially whether it's gaming culture or other kinds of cultures, people are bridging um, some, some class and some race issues maybe there's a brief moment where maybe either of you could speak to that. Cause like I left gaming and so much TV media, like after undergrad, like I just didn't bother with a lot of stuff on screens. So that put me, that I feel puts me in a kind of unique uh, little bubble again of what uh, the levels at which uh, people are defying these class and race um, hurdles about staying in our own lane because otherwise, you know, someone's going to get mad. Either the big white man's going to get mad or your family, which which is influenced by the big white man, is going to get mad. Or in my case, I felt very scared of going into people's communities when I wasn't invited. But how do you get invited when that person thinks that you could hurt them, right? We have these big impasses through lack of communication and lack of courage, Right. That I, you know, that I, I had amazing lovers and um, 
uh, uh, relations, even if brief, with folks of other people who don't look like me, who come from other from other backgrounds. But like getting to the point where you have to get to the hard conversations of bridging these things, you know, because they are identifiers, as you were saying, Brock. They are like ways in which like we suddenly, you know, go go to someone else from from, a, from another ethnic and another religious background or another, like me, I had to really learn about how to just like be a fly on the wall when there was a lot of money flying around, whether it's nouveau riche or whether it's like establishment people, because like I like opera and I, I, I like a lot of like classes, class, uh, like I like classics. I like uh, uh, ancient Greece and Rome and I like Renaissance art and I just attracted to these things, but they have so much like class weight on them. So um, I'm interested to hear about like both the hard but successful way. It's like Brock, you gave the example of like getting uh, whacked by your, by your partner and be like learning moment and like having those Having those learning moments, I tend to be too so hypersensitive that I'm like, I'm just going to look with my bug eyes until someone volunteers because I'm just so afraid of being a white male. I've had a lot of a lot of fear about being a white male bodied person because I know but, what people go through. And so I think it sometimes freezes me from well, actually. Can I say something really quick about that, actually? Yeah. So what you said, I think, is accurate, which is being invited in. Yes. Because, like, it's very important to not... So, like, Brock, what you said earlier, which I sort of... I don't think this is what you were necessarily trying to say, but it reminded me of sort of this idea that a lot of white people think, like, I need to be diverse. I'm going to go and hang out with black people. And just like, it's not the answer. Like, it's a bigger systemic problem that people just like communities are not already integrated in a way in which, you know, works. So I think the idea of being invited in is very important. Otherwise, it's sort of just like this idea of like, I need to diversify my my portfolio. You know what I mean? So I remember when I was doing Occupy Wall Street, like the park, Zuccotti Park, like, sort of became a mirror in a lot of ways of society. And in, in, in certain circumstances, it did become very, uh, like, segregated by race, by class, all sorts of things. But I remember, since I was one of the earlier participants in Occupy Wall Street, I had already sort of bridged gaps between, like, racial and economic lines where I just sort of already knew a lot of people at the park. So without even like making a, cons- a concerted effort, I believe, uh, I think that's the right word. I like w- would hang out with like my friend Raven and like all sorts of people from different working groups who were black and white and all sorts of things. And it just was part of my life there um, where I and I remember there was this one white guy who was in the upper area of the park and me, him and some other person who was black, were, like, having a conversation about, like, I don't know, some stupid park drama. And the black guy was speaking in a way, this probably is not the most politically correct term, but I want to use it so that I can give the perspective of this white guy. 
this black guy was using what what one might be consider what one might consider ebonics, and the white guy kept on complaining like I don't understand what you're saying, and I will never forget what this guy said, which is he said that's because you're listening to me but you're not hearing me, and it was like it really was like a very powerful moment because I was like I totally understood this person because I had spent enough time with him. And I could take, I could get context clues and all sorts of things. But this other person just didn't because it was so far out of his repertoire of cultural identifiers, I guess, like things that he understood. And it really was like a very powerful moment for me because it sort of just told me like, like language it's like like a language line not like a literal language line but a figurative language line where you if you do not have enough baked in experience with different cultures different races different classes uh, genders etc you just don't speak the language and that's yeah it was very it was a very powerful moment for me knowing that like oh i, I already know i already know like i already know how to do this <laughs> Um, do you it wasn't, think it wasn't something that it wasn't something that felt forced it was just like yeah this is another person like i, I know what you, you're saying because talk to him do you think if that person was white as opposed to black that the white guy would have understood um well i think that that's sort of um kind of a loaded question only in the sense that i don't think that that scenario would have been able to occur had he not been black, because sort of what I'm saying is that this person, this black guy, came from a different socioeconomic and geographic area of New York City. Without which, a doubt. Which led him to have certain characteristics that would be associated with that area. Just like, you know, you'd have certain characteristics associated with you if you were a Canadian. There was a bunch of Canadians at Zuccotti Park, too. Um and so if he was a white guy, then his background would have been different in, in Western society. So I don't think that situation could have occurred if he was not black, is what I'm trying to say. Not to okay, suggest fair. that black people have like certain inherited characteristics based on their race. But, you know, we cannot deny the fact that, like I mentioned before, we as a society ghettoize ourselves with, within these, these criteria, which leads certain us to have certain uh cultural characteristics fair um what you were saying earlier jeremy about you know um i think it's up to us not not to you know integrate ourselves into other cultures but i think the onus is on well two things you you mentioned that you're afraid to talk or speak and you become a fly on the wall in those situations and you fear because your whiteness that almost, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like a little bit of white guilt. Oh, which, yeah, absolutely. Which isn't fair for you either, because then, you know, you're denying other people your gifts, you know, and, or and I'm yourself. I'm denying someone, uh, other people who I just love as human beings, an invitation, right? People yeah. don't know whether it's anxiety or fear and 
we have to communicate those things. So, he, so where I want to segue, Brock, is we had such a deep and meaningful conversation about there's a microcosm of this. We've very, I mean, I really did bring bring up that we in the queer community are bridging class and race because we find that we have lovers and interests and communities that start to really mix. And what we were talking about is like this, this, the white, you know, the, the, the demons and the haunts and of white maleness that, mm -hmm. that you and your experience got to experience a particular stream of, you got to experience sports culture, a very white dominated sports culture. Um, and also in your work experiencing like what people have is a, a, a visceral reaction that because like you're not you're not more you're less safe because you don't express uh, certain femme femme personality markers that make us as more femme folks be uh, be a beacon of more uh, uh, performative and social safety. So you call the fan folk. <laughs> <sighs> Sam, uh, will you let the man talk? <laughs> there we go, that dynamic, right? But we were speaking very deeply about, like, you know, that part of, I think, breaking down and uh, bringing some radical, radical community together is that we're all part of breaking down the white male the white male monster, whatever that is. That's strong wording, but. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, always going to be generalizations and preconceived notions of others. And, and I, I think we have to get to a point where we're not doing that, even within our community, you know, like those, those people who write no fats, no fans, no Asians or whatever else. Right. Or, or, you know, mask for mask or any of that bullshit. Um, th that's an issue, but there's other issues too. And, and like, I'm not oppressed. I'm, I'm, you know, in, in terms of privilege within the LGBTQ plus community, I recognize that I have a shit ton. Um, and, and we'll probably get to that momentarily, but you know, uh, I've, I've also experienced where people like without knowing me automatically had these preconceived notions and judgments and dislike towards me, uh, just based off my physical appearance or the way I speak and, and, and not even in like in-depth conversation where they knew where I stood on any issues or how I feel about social issues or anything. And, and I've had, you know, I, I was dating a guy who has a gay brother and the gay brother looked at me one day and it was fairly like, we'd only been dating for like four months at the, this point. And his brother looked at me and he was really rude. Like the entire night, he was just mean, like nasty. And then he looked at me after a few drinks and said, you remind me, you look like every guy that picked on me in high school. And, and that's, that you know, like, off. yeah, but in my mind, I, I, I had some empathy and, and, you know, it's like, I feel bad that this happened to you, 
but at the same time, I'm like, wait, you're judging me based off your traumas with other people instead of knowing I who how I am. Old this person was? Uh, he was already a lawyer, so he was old because enough. Because I don't want to pass judgment. Everyone's experiences are different, and I'm sure that a lot of gay men have and women have a much worse situations. And I, I considered that my bullying in high school was pretty bad. However, and I'm a bit, again, I don't want to like say like, Oh, I, I'm over it. But like, I can't even remember the people that picked on me in high school. Like I can't even remember their faces because he, I like lived so many like lives since that happened. Like I'm so far removed from that time period so this is not to pass judgment on the person in your story. And I feel bad that they have so many hangups still about those things. But like, when I look at you, I just think, wow, your arms are bigger than my entire neck. Um, that's really the main thing that I'm thinking. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what are you hauling with those arms, bro? <laughs> oh, you don't want to know. Ugh, or do you? Like these things. Um, in situation. <laughs> but... You know, I, I think, though, in the community, like, so I, after that experience and, and hearing that a few times, I, I think there's, there's a big need. And, and obviously, if you've gone past that, it's one of two things in my mind. It's either you've dealt with your shit, you've dealt with that trauma and move forward, or you've suppressed it to the point that you're like, I don't even think about it, you know, like it's, uh, and I don't know you, I don't know your story. So I, uh, well, I just sort of realized that like, bitch, I'm fabulous. And you know, like, this is a funny thing. Talking about this to Jeremy, where like, yeah, there was a point maybe in high school where I was just like trying to be less gay, but now like every day I wake up and it's just like, it's just a never opportunity to be as gay as possible. And that's the gay agenda. But but that's (laughs) like your, in a sense, that's your armor. Right. And, and so, so for some people who don't haven't found that empowerment tool to deal with it, they don't have that armor. Right. So they're still traumatized, triggered, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and then they look at me as somebody who may have been that person to them because I fit the mold of stereotypically who's going to bully Mm -hmm. queer people growing up. So it's, it's interesting for me and I have to watch, you know, in a sense, like I'm fascinated and I'm obsessed with, you know, more feminine presenting gay men. Like, I just love it. I think there's more courage in that than, you know, anything I've ever done in my life. Um, I, I think it's brilliant. Um, Jeremy knows my obsession with drag um, you know, I just love drag. I, I love every form of drag. I, I um, because there, there's something there that it's like a, a big fuck you to the norm. And, and I really appreciate that because I conformed to the norm and it probably is, you know, rooted in there somewhere. And also the competition aspect I really like of, you yeah. know, drag race. But um, so when I, engage i love engaging with people in that world but i don't fit necessarily that world aesthetically so it's like slowly letting my you know gaining you know engaging with people there without crossing a line or a boundary and i find sometimes that people because they have shit and trauma that they haven't dealt with and i'm a big believer that we all need to deal with our shit um 
you know, other and and otherwise we're putting preconceived judgments on other people without getting to know them. And it's the opposite, but in a similar vein to the no fats, no femmes, no Asians, no this, yeah. no that, no other mass for mass bullshit. And and neither of them are fair or right. You, you know, I, I think uh, also Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think no, also, though, what you're talking about is the culpable deniability, where it's like you have accepted the fact that you live with realm, which some men that are might be more female presenting um, would um, like maybe hold it against you that like you have this cul- this, this deniability, like you could act if you wanted to. Um, so, but there is another, there's, there's actually a downside to that, which is when you are passing, then you are also into this realm where you do not have this forced sense of community because there's a bunch of femme gay, gay men, then like there is baked in camaraderie and it's often, uh, a, a mechanism to, peacock like hey i'm gay yeah. hang out with me but if you are straight presenting or have culpable deniability of your your sexuality then that's not something that is baked into your lifestyle in terms of things that you take advantage of can take advantage of because people won't and yeah and, and it's almost like there's this a downside of assumptions it's also an upside yeah, it's like this weird gray area because you're not fully, you're still kind of an outsider in the straight world. Yeah. Because, you know, in straight athletic, you know, men's sport world, you're an outsider. You're not fully included Agreed. there. Agreed. Sorry. Yeah, really. And, and the gay world kind of sees you as a little bit different. And it's, you know, I think a lot of it is that bullying thing, but I also think it comes to, those other people who uh, refer to themselves as jocks because they fill themselves up with steroids and go to circuit parties in Puerto Vallarta. And um, that was a read. Um, And they, you know, oppress others through this white straight presenting privilege that they have within the community because of insecurities and whatnot of maybe wanting to be a jock or maybe wishing they had acceptance. And I hate that fucking word. I I hate it so much. We don't need acceptance from anyone but ourselves. Um, But that, that yearning for acceptance from the straight world. So then they oppress others who might have less passing privilege as a heterosexual, you know? And, and so it leads to judgments on both sides and it's all problematic as fuck. That said, I think the people with, you know, the more passing privilege should be the ones to stop oppressing first because the queer, the other side is just like you said, you know, peacocking in a sense and not really oppressing, but judging and the, uh, the, 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 you know, the circuit queens are more oppressive. And, and if we stop that, like, I, I look at privilege as, okay, I have this gift that I can infiltrate a straight world. 
you know, I can, I I can, and, and I can walk in and people see me as being a heterosexual man. Well, I can use that to shift things for people that can't infiltrate that. I guess so. I just remember it sort of like reminds me like back in like, I don't know, maybe 2008, there was this whole thing about like straight presenting gay men being like, like being the preferable aspect because like they weren't like, and but like, it's right, and it goes, and it goes, like, and it goes like, back to no, being like, fuck well adjusted like, no like let's all just like i i don't as a as a gay man who i i mean and here's the thing actually so you don't know this about me because i'm a total queen but <laughs> i feel i actually sort of ride this line a little bit too um because i love like makeup and i queer like feminine things but also, like, I know how to fucking, like, you know, fix a water heater and, you know, uh, drive a tractor and do all sorts of, like, conventionally masculine things. So, mm-hmm. like, for me, it's like, I don't, I don't want to play those games. Like, I don't, I don't need to um, have straight men who have preconceived notions about gay men whether, or, or women uh, and and the way that they are supposed to act to like I don't I don't like I don't need it like they can they can deal with that shit on their own time and when they are ready to to face the reality that there's people on every spectrum that act whatever way that they're gonna act then they can come and talk to me or you or Jeremy or whomever Coco Peru for all I care but like. You know, like I don't need, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that to accelerate. You know what I mean? It's I, it's not really my responsibility. You know, I I agree Sorry, with you there. And, and, uh, no, I agree with you there. I don't think it is everyone's responsibility. But for in my mind, I get these kids that are coming to me that are young, that are trying to play sports, that are struggling yeah. and are suicidal and are are you know dealing with some serious shit, and if I can make that space a little more inclusive for them, oh yeah. if, if Definitely. I can, you know, have that conversation about, well, you're not feminine. Therefore, like, it's cool. I just hate those faggy gays, you know? Yeah. And, and the I can go, well, gay. wait, hold on. What does that mean? And, and I can be, you know, that person to get them to critically think about what they're saying and the impact of their words. Um, then if I can do that, then, you know, I'm going to, and, and I, I've been put in a position where I'm, I can. So, and I, I, and I have these, uh, this other side where these queer kids want to play sports and they're struggling. So it's like, yeah. Trying I, to, well, and I think that's a great perspective to have. And I, you are a kinder person than I am. Then I think it's really what it comes down to because you're willing to suffer fools, so to speak. I'm not like, especially after what's happened in the Capitol. Like if I was the coach of a whatever team, and one of my people said, I wouldn't be like, well, let's talk about that. I'd be like, get, get the fuck out. <laughs> You're but, but the problem I just, is... I, the- I wouldn't because I just, I don't suffer fools anymore. So, but, but I appreciate where you're coming from and you are a stronger person than I am because I just don't feel the deal. I just don't get out. I'm not, I, I'm not at all. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's annoying as hell. 
it's frustrating. Yeah. I want to scream almost every day. I have a burn book, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like, uh, like all the shit, but it's, it's not even just players. It is coaches. It is leagues. It is goes yeah. right from the top professional leagues all the way down. Like I get threats from professional sports leagues. It's, it's really, it's really fucked up. And, you know, so I I look at it as like trying to like shelter and protect these kids so they can stay in sport if they want Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's like, I'm like trying to hug them from a distance and and hold them. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things uh, that's the perfect segue because like when we were talking about these, these deep wounds and this deep healing that if, we can strike at the heart of like what the patriarchal myth is. And most of the patriarchal myths that have been disseminated all over the world is that there is like a, a, a hateful judging will, will dash you with a lightning bolt God. And that there is no like, well, like where's the warmth? Where is the vulnerability? Cause in sports, there is warmth and vulnerability. It's just, yeah. it's so deeply policed by uh uh you know uh, the 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 no gay card right it's like the game where you're like last one like it's like the rotten egg game where we're constantly gauging there's so much hyper policing of masculinity that it is really ruining so many so many men's health no matter how they identify you know like where are the hugging where are the where are the where are the 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 hugging saints for men there's these men's movements now where like they try to explore these things but they're also under the guise of like of right-wing christian cults and these things were like where where is where is the sensual like siblingship where we start just hugging each other and I can hug Brock and get over the fact he might be a hottie and I might almost bring a boner, but that doesn't mean shit. It just means that, you know, first he's cute, but he's my friend and he's my queer sibling. And like, we got to just work through the layers of where we have our weird shit and be able to at least talk about it and experience it, experience it without some sort of freak outs. Like women know how to freak out or if they don't, that, 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 that that's part of the patriarchal oppression. That's I think a very yeah. last important section is like, how are we going to heal? What's it going to take in our communities to be like, I want to be, I want to be normal and supportive to Brock. Cause if there's something I can offer to Brock from my experience then I don't want me, I don't want the layers of my preconceived notions of if Brock was in the drag bar and I just got finished doing my thing and he wanted to come up and be talking. If I'm like, what do you want, man? What do you want, dude? What do you want, gay man, dude? What do you want from me? You just want to talk? You you, you know, there's just, we have to, how do we, where do we go by ourselves to do the work and where can we be brave enough to do the work with each other? Because Brock, you're doing the work with young people. Like Sam, I hope I, you know, I want this podcast to be a place that disseminates that that kind of work is being done and we can model. So like maybe um, yeah, that's the last kind of place we can go. Like what, what's it going to take? I would just say for me, it's like we need to have affectional bonds when it's safe to again. We need to understand what, what 
queer siblingship is like and that there's affection there and that there's vulnerability there and there's also like thank you you know i'm willing to cuddle with you i'm willing to deal with the fact you might have a boner for a couple of times when we hang out because you have to work through your fetish which is not based on anything except othering and the porn that you've watched and please and going from objectifying me to intersubjectifying and seeing each other as souls and kindred queer siblings. So I'm gonna put that out there for the last section and whoever wants to oh, yeah. lead with that. I know it's really real, but. So you know. what, can you dense that question into like a two sentence question so that we yeah. can answer how, it? Yeah, how, how, how can we do the community healing? And where is it in us and where is it in, in our interactions? I, I, I can answer first because I think I, I, I was, that was a shorter answer. So I was actually going to mention, so I have, because I exist within like a lot of different communities, but one of the key ones is like the nerdy, geeky, playing like video games online community, which, which tends to be very integrated, like all different races, all different places in the world. Like my Dungeons and Dragons campaign has like a girl from like, I think she's from like, I think it's either Vietnam or Thailand. Um, and, you know, just like a lot of different people, straight, gay, bi, transgender, like all sorts of things. It's, in fact, my World of Warcraft guild back when I, in, uh, when I was uh, 19, like just, it wasn't even like intentional, but like the whole gay was just like queer, gay, and transgender people just because somehow we found each other and it wasn't even intentional. I didn't even know that most of the people in the guild were gay and transgender until like three months in. But anyway, getting back to my point, like I exist within a community with lots of gay people and queer people, both online and offline. But the interesting thing about the online ones is that it tends to integrate in a lot of white, cisgendered, straight men because they like playing video games too. And I tend to believe that a lot of those people tend to have a lot more exposure than some people outside of the internet culture. Um, so, and uh, one thing that I want to say about these people to give them a lot of credit is we flirt with each other all the fucking time. And it's all in good fun. And they, you know, flirt with me, flirt with them back. And it's just this area that we exist in where it's, like, yeah, we know that we're not going to fuck, but it's fun to flirt and give affection, especially when you can't give a physical affection because of COVID. And I know they're straight, I know I'm gay, but we're all so aware of who we are and aware of like real boundaries and boundaries and all that stuff that we can just, you know, have banter and that's okay. And they are, they know they are enough to, for it not to be an affront to sexuality or masculinity or anything like that. So I think my answer to that question is have more social spaces, both online and offline, which combine people all different walks of life with common interests so that we can become exposed in a way that um, is just, you know, has good, good organic banter and also fuck your straight friends. Not do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's just that like, don't be afraid to have banter with straight friends because then I think you're not being often, 
that's it. That's my thing. That makes sense. And that, that can like transcend just straight and gay. That can be, you know, find commonalities or things you enjoy and engage with people that are different from yourself in, in the queer community in, you know, of different, you know, race or ethnicities. Um, I really like that. Um, for me personally, I think the first thing we need to do is internally deal with our stuff. When, when you, when you start to deal with your struggle, your oppression, whatever you're dealing with mental health issues and, and, you know, to some varying degree, we all have these things. Um, then we're, we're going to, you know, come at things with a, a different perspective and a different outlook right from the beginning. Um, and then I think we have to do our part in learning and researching, like learning about as, as queer people, learning about different com- parts of the community so that we ha- aren't, you know, when we're in situations where we're with people that, you know, aren't our typical bubble or whatever you want to call it, um, that we are not uncomfortable and demonstrating an uncomfortableness to engage with them. Um, you know, like, uh, and, and then respect those boundaries. You know, we expect when straight people come to a gay bar that they respect the boundaries. I remember, uh, a friend's like, come, come out tonight. And it was a bear night. And my partner would be, you know, considered a twink and I'm a jock and we go to this bear night and everyone's looking at us like, what the fuck are you two doing here? So we just kind of sat at the bar and chilled and then people came over and talked to us and we engaged in conversation and then we're dancing with them and, and it ended up being a lovely night, but we didn't center ourselves. You know what I mean? Right. Don't center. It's not your, about you. Yes. It's, it's their night. It's about them. Don't center yourselves in, 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 don't center yourself in somebody else's space. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really critical. Um, but, but even things like, you know, racism or, you know, how we treat different members of transphobia, whatever it is within e- even our community, take the time to learn and educate yourself. And when you do that, after you've worked through your shit and you've learned about other people's shit, you're going to come at things from a different perspective. And I think that's so critical to evolving the culture and then getting to a point that you understand where they're coming from. And you want to hug them and hold them and love them and, and show support. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that just gets to my idea of like, every time I, 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 I do center myself, I, whether it's like an Instagram live or some other performance thing I do or, or on this platform, the primary pillar of intention for me is that it's a safe space because in safe space, we make mistakes. We may say stupid shit. Things that may come from our woundedness. Things may come from our um, uh, assumptions or or our uh, uh, fetishes or all sorts of different angles. But when we when we don't expect that it's going to be anything but placed there, and again decentralized, decentered, it's a whole. Is a whole like energetic geometry of like 
going from this point or going from an arrow, going from all these like these stereotypical or archetypal ideas that masculinity, that it's not competitive. No one is more queer than one another. No one gets more badges and that we can like, can create a constellation and something that's three dimensional and that's interconnected, then we are, we are part of doing that work. And the first part is, I think just for me, it's creating safe space that people can explore a little bit of these things and know how far they can go and what's theirs, what's theirs and what can be done in a collective space. So, um, you just gave me a great idea. Uh-huh. We should have badges that we can give out at Fairy Wish Camp for, like, queer, like, Boy Scout badges. You mean, like, mm-hmm. best pass-around party bottom? Yeah, like that. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, we we risk just going back to these terrible stereotypes, even though that's one of my favorites. But that's the thing. Uh-huh. This is an important factor about what you're talking about. Oh, actually that... talking about these badges that people may or may not have, right? Well, because right. the thing is, is that these stereotypes be- make, we take these stereotypes, sorry, my phone is low power, it's fine. Uh, we take these stereotypes and we give them so much power yeah. because we take them so seriously, like you're not allowed to talk about them. You're not allowed to give people stereotypes. Da, 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 da. And like, if we just take these stereotypes, like I was talking about, like with, you know, some people that I hang out with online, like it's, you know, taking them and giving and making them, making them camp, I think right. makes them so much more innocuous. Right. And you defang them, you declawed them. And I think it's true. It's like, just like there are wounded and beautiful people in all sorts of bodies and all sorts of scenarios. And if we are both loving, loving listeners and, and, and loving communicators of where we're at and what we're yeah. interested in, which is connection at the end of the day, then we, then we will do all of our parts. And I would like to now thank Brock McGillis for spending so much time. This is a pretty epic episode, Brock. This might be a two-parter. Ooh, wow. I'm excited. Yeah, I, and I, I thank you for I all this time. I love it's a sequel. I love a sequel. It's true. It's true. And if you ever want to pop in again, if there are new things that come up, if there are uh, magical tales and anecdotes about about the work that I'm sure is both challenging and rewarding that you do, and oh, I have so many. Are, we can, yeah, yeah, we we'll can, we to, can we'll touch on that. We'll have to do that. an anecdote share, and I love uh, that. I want to thank you. We'll have to do no. an, an, uh, an antidote share. Oh, my gosh. Well, hopefully there will be lots of, of positive. Is it? A- oh, there's anecdotes and antidotes. Pew, 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 pew. Anecdotes, <laughs> anecdotes. Speaking of anecdotal information, where can people find you, Brock, to see and listen and, and read more about your work? Well, they can find me on Instagram at Brock McGillis 33. They can find me on Twitter at Brock underscore McGillis or my website at Brock or www.brockmcgillis.com. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. your own queer unicorn. And um, I look forward to more conversation and wonderful times with you. Same, same. And it was a pleasure meeting you, Sam. It was a pleasure meeting you too. Bye, baby. Bye. Bye.